making his way back around to the Sea of Galilee. Now, we don't know how long this took. This could have been as much as eight months to a year. Uh, This was probably somewhere around a third of the time that Jesus spent with his disciples was spent in Gentile territory. He was in a pagan land. But why does Mark tell us that he returned to the Sea of Galilee from Tyre by going north and then east and then back around? This would be like saying that here in Greenville, we were going to return to Columbia by going to Asheville and then to Charlotte and then back to Columbia. It's roughly about the same um, the same picture, if you will. So this is what he's doing. He's going out of his way in a pagan land. Why? Because he's wanting his disciples to get it. Jesus understands and knows that there's coming a day when they will be it, when he will leave. He will leave the mission to them, and they must understand certain things fully. And he spends this lengthy time with them in this pagan land to show that the gospel will come first to the children of Israel, to the house of Israel, but it will also go beyond the house of Israel into Gentile land. Aren't you glad? Yeah, that was a good place. Y'all are weak. I know it's first of the year. You're not practiced up, and I won't make you do it again, but just be ready, all right? He wants them to understand that the gospel is going to go to all nations, And so he's going out of his way in a pagan land. It says here that they brought to him a man who was deaf and also had a speech impediment. And the word deaf should have been sufficient. The word that he used for deaf meant that he was both deaf and mute. That particular word meant that he could not hear nor could he speak. But then he goes on and he says that he has a speech impediment. So he wants us to get that there's something about the tongue that is going to be very important here, and I want to hang on to that. Um, I used to, as a kid, and, and uh, many of you probably have, you know, I would, see, I would see people who were blind, and I would think, boy, it would be, it would be awful to be blind. And I used to think, and I, I heard another pastor say this, I used to think that, that uh, it would be much worse to be blind than it would be to be deaf. But I'm not sure. Because... To be deaf is to be ridiculed, particularly in this day and age when, when Jesus walked the planet, when, when, they, when there was a person who was deaf, the deaf person could see all of the ridicule. The blind person could not, but the deaf person could, and I am in no way comparing one to the other, but I, I think I want to show you here that, that to be deaf was horrible. It was, it was looked upon in that particular time as, number one, the person was probably insane. Number two, they were probably under some sort of punishment, penalty of God. They were presumed insane, even stricken by God. They were, they were assumed to be dumb, unintelligent, because they couldn't communicate. Yet when they would try, when they would still function in the world, they would see all the ways that people would look at them. They would see the rolling of the eyes. They would see the mothers scurrying the children away and hiding the children. They would see it all. And this particular man that they bring to Jesus, his friends bring him to Jesus as his last hope. And Jesus here shows the man great compassion. You'll see it as we go through. But he goes on and he says that the man also was deaf, but he also had a speech impediment. 
It meant that he was mumbling, that he hardly could speak, that he couldn't hardly get anything out, but there were noises, there were utterances that were coming from his mouth. Probably points to the fact that he wasn't born uh, deaf and mute. Probably somewhere in his childhood, he either suffered an illness or an accident that took those things from him. He had heard enough that he could make the noise, but not enough to be able to, uh, to communicate today. He had this speech impediment. The word for deaf, as I said, would have covered both, but Mark here tells us that he also had a speech impediment. It's a very rare, very strange word that Mark uses here. It's used only here in the New Testament. It's only once in the New Testament, and it is right here, this particular word in the New Testament. Mark plucks it from seeming in obscurity and shows it to us. It's used only once, and we'll see it come back here in just a little bit. Hold on to that. We'll come back to it. It says, they brought this man who was deaf, had a speech impediment, and they begged him to lay his hand on him. Now, the reason they did this is obvious. They wanted Jesus to heal him. Well, how in this new territory, in this pagan land, when Jesus is going out of his way, how do they know who Jesus is? How do they know anything about him? Well, think back. Think back to the man who was, uh, who was possessed of the demons. Remember Legion? Jesus cast those demons out into the pigs. And what did Jesus say to the man? He said, go back to your country and tell all what the Lord has done for you. Jesus told him that because he was to be the first missionary to this land. And so word had spread throughout this pagan territory from this one man to them. When Jesus comes into the region, they hear that he's there. They hear of all the things that he's done. And they bring this man who is deaf with a speech impediment to Jesus, and they beg him to lay hands on the man. Now, wonder workers were very common in the day. The lines between medicine and magic were very blurry. Medicine was sketchy at best, and so there was this, there was a lot of superstition, and there were a lot of these very weird practices that would be prescribed by these wonder workers. Things like take the blood of, of a chicken and stir it with a feather of, of this particular bird and, and apply it behind the ears and, and things like this. And this was supposed to, to cure whatever the ailment was. And they were very common. And what the wonder workers would do is they would travel the country and they would, they would take the person who had this ailment, whether it was uh, that he was deaf or blind or mute or, or whatever it might be. And first of all, the wonder worker would put their hands on the person. They would take the person and they would manipulate that affected part of the body in some way. They would, they would do something particular with their hands to that body part. Hence, they, that's why they begged Jesus, lay your hands on him. They saw him simply as another wonder worker. Then a wonder worker would often apply saliva to the affected area. Now, this seems very weird. And, and let's be honest, when you read through this section of Scripture, you go, yeah, that's just weird. Why is Jesus putting his fingers in, his, in the guy's ears. I mean, if you don't think that's weird, just try it with your neighbor right now. Just reach over and put your finger in their ears. Okay, it's weird. You don't do that in public, you know, let alone when Jesus walks up and, and, and goes to the guy and, and he puts his fingers in his ears. And then it says that he, he, he takes, the, he spits on his fingers and he touches the guy's tongue. You know, I mean, try that right now. You know, it's not going over well, you know, it's just strange. But the reason why wonder workers would do this is because they believed 
that there was some sort of secret life-giving medical power in saliva, particularly the saliva of a wonder worker. And so people would, would follow after them and beg them for, this to, for them to put their hands on them, to, to apply saliva to them, and, and we see Jesus here doing this. Then the wonder worker would say a secret magic word. It was, a, um, it was referred to as barbarike. It was a, um, it was a barbarian word. It comes from, from the, that's what it sounded like to, to the people who heard it. It sounded like they were saying bar, 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 or all, just repeatedly bar, 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 bar. And so they called it barbarike. And so the wonder worker would have this secret word, this special magic word that he kept to himself and only he knew. And when the wonder worker would come into town and, he, and the person would come to him, he would take the person aside, he would manipulate the body part in some way, he would apply spit to that area, and then he would whisper to them this secret magic word that only he knew. And it was supposed to cure the person. And sometimes the person would have somewhat favorable effects of it and other times, maybe, maybe the person would get over whatever it was. Other times, probably more times than not, it wasn't, it wasn't lasting if it had any effect at all. Yet they continued to flock to these, these people. Well, so far, this is exactly what Jesus has done. They bring this man who's deaf with a speech impediment to Jesus. Jesus takes him aside, sticks his fingers abruptly. It means to cast or to throw. He throws his fingers in the man's ears. Can you imagine that scene? I mean, it's just, it's just funny. I, I, I couldn't imagine being Peter watching this, you know, because Peter had to say something, you know. That's why he's recorded it here in his gospel. You know, he's watching Jesus, and Jesus just all of a sudden takes the man and thrusts his fingers into the man's ears. I mean, just think about that. Go to school. I'm telling you, go to school and do this. It, it will not go over well, you know. You, you will not get a date to the prom. So Jesus takes this man aside, he thrusts his fingers into the man's ears, he spits on his fingers, has the man stick out his tongue, and touches Jesus' own spit to the man's tongue. So, so far, Jesus looks like just another one of the wonder workers. Why? Why is Jesus doing this? And there are probably skeptics in the room who are saying, see, I knew it, he's just another phony, he's just one of those Wonder workers looking to make a profit. And look at the effect he's had. Well, we're about to see Jesus turn this thing around. They didn't see him as God. They simply saw him. That's what I want you to get out of this section. They simply saw him as a wonder worker. They were bringing him a man. And they were bringing him to only what they thought was a wonder worker. And I would ask you the question this morning, is that how you see Jesus? Do you see him as simply a wonder worker, someone who can improve your situation, who can take your, your, um, what, whatever you're going through and make that better? Do you see Jesus as simply this sort of genie in the lamp that you can come to and rub whenever you need something, make your wish, and then he goes back into the, the lamp when you are, are through with him so he doesn't impact your life or, or drag you down in any way and you'll come back to him when you need him? That's the way they were using this uh, when Jesus came, came to town. Is that the way you see him today? Or do you see him as something much more? Do you see him as the Messiah, as the Son of God? 
Well, we see Jesus going out of his way in a pagan land. And then we see Jesus going away from the crowd for a private appointment. We see him going away from the crowd for a private appointment. The Bible here says in verse 33, and taking him aside from the crowd privately, this is what I just described. He sticks his fingers in, his, in, the, in the guy's ears. He takes him aside to, to extract him from maybe public ridicule. It's a great, it's a great picture of the compassion of Jesus. He goes out of his way in a pagan land, but then when he comes to this man, he wants to show this man that he's more than a wonder worker. So he takes him away into a private, a private meeting. Now, he does this, I think, number one, possibly to poke fun at the wonder workers or to draw a distinction between he and the wonder workers. But I think also it's an act of compassion because he knows that this man is the subject, the object of public ridicule all the time. And if this man is exposed to being healed here in front of all of these people, he will continue to be this source of just something that people just run to and make over, and he's never really an individual. So he takes the man aside. He put his fingers into his ears. He spit and he touched his tongue. He seems, uh, seems as if he's no different. But then it says that he looked up to heaven. He looked up to heaven, and we saw Jesus doing this earlier when he took the, the fish and the loaves, and he looked to heaven, and he blessed the fish and the loaves and fed 5,000 with it. Jesus takes the man aside, and at this point looks like nothing more than one of the wonder workers of the day, and then when he's got the man's attention after all of this, he looks to heaven because he wants the man to understand that what's about to happen to him is not from any special human power, but it is from the God of heaven. And then it says, it's, it's an interesting little tidbit in there. It says that he sighs deeply. Now, the deaf man could not have heard this sigh, but you don't have to hear a sigh to know that a person has sighed. He's watching Jesus intently at this moment, and he sees Jesus sigh deeply. Why does Jesus sigh? Well, I think probably for several reasons. To show the man deep compassion. I think he wanted the man to understand that, look, I don't see you as being unintelligent or crazy or demon-possessed or chastised by God. I see you as an individual, and I know that your problem is your ears and your tongue. And he sighs, and he shows the man great compassion. And then I think he also probably sighs because he's disgusted with the ridiculous methods of the wonder workers. I think he did all of this gesturing and then went, and then I think the third reason, this is probably the most true reason that Jesus sighed, was that he was absolutely disgusted, saddened, by the horrendous impact of sin on humanity. Not necessarily the sin of this particular man. He wasn't saying, I'm so disgusted with your sin that's put you in this situation. But I think he's sighing at the sin that the world finds itself in. The fallen condition of the world. And he, he saddened over, grieved over the sin that would eventually send him to the cross. Then it says that Jesus looks to heaven, he sighs, and then he says, Ephatha, 
sounds like, you know, that's probably the secret word of the wonder worker, right? I mean, we don't use that. We, if, if Mark didn't go on and tell you that it, meant, it means be opened, you wouldn't know that it meant be opened. You would think it was nothing more than abracadabra. But the reality is when Jesus said, Ephatha, he was simply using the language of the day. It was the common vernacular. It was nothing more than English to you and I. It was Aramaic, and they understood it. And when he says, this man probably is waiting on this secret word. What will the word be? And Jesus says, be opened. That's it. Why? Because Jesus wants this man to understand that it's not the secret power of certain few, but it is the almighty power of the one who is in heaven who came to deal with sin, who can open deaf ears and loose tied-up tongues. Be opened. And the Bible says that that's just what happened. When Jesus says to this man, Ephatha, be opened. That his ears were opened, that his tongue was loosed, that it was released, my Bible says. And then it says an interesting thing. It says that he began to speak plainly. Can you imagine that? This man has probably heard very little of the language of the day. He could murmur, probably at a very young age, he lost his hearing, lost his ability to speak. But for him to immediately begin to speak plainly? Have you thought about that, that that in itself was a miracle? No going to therapy. No sitting through classes. No learning the language. Can you imagine going to a foreign country right now? Never hearing the language, but yet going and speaking plainly? And they understand you? It's a miracle in itself. Jesus here shows him that he is greater than any wonder worker, that he is the Messiah, the Son of God, God himself who opens ears and looses tongues with a simple, common word. The third category I want you to see, and I'll hurry through this. (coughs) We saw Jesus going out of his way in a pagan land. We saw Jesus going away from the crowd for a private appointment. And here we see the crowd going against instructions to proclaim his lordship. We see the crowd going against instructions to proclaim his lordship. That's what it says in verses 36 through 37. Jesus charged them to tell no one. Are you kidding me? This man's not been able to speak. Now he can speak. And not only speak, he can speak plainly. And Jesus, first thing Jesus says to him is, don't tell anybody. What? You'd have to tell somebody. Are y'all awake this morning? You would have to tell somebody. And that's, that's what he did. He ignored the instructions of Jesus. Because who could keep that quiet? My tongue has been tied. It has been bound in chains. And the one who came had stuck his fingers in my ears, touched my tongue with his saliva, whispered a word to me. Be opened, and I can speak plainly. Not only that, I can hear you. 
I can hear everything. And Jesus says to him, tell no one? Why? Well, I think the answer is this. Jesus charges him and them, those who are around who are eavesdropping, to tell no one because Jesus knew that the message was not yet complete. That if they told now, the message would simply be that there is a wonder worker greater than all wonder workers. His name is Jesus. He comes from Galilee. And he would simply become the best of the best. And Jesus knew that the message was not complete until he went to the cross. And he came out of the tomb. And Jesus doesn't want them simply spreading that he is a wonder worker. Only after the cross was the message complete. It was then, and only then, when Jesus had been resurrected from the dead, that he looked at his disciples and said, you will receive power. And when the Holy Spirit comes on you, you will be my witnesses to the uttermost parts of the world. It wasn't as if he was going to say forever to those whom he had opened their ears and opened their eyes and loosed their tongues, don't tell anyone. Don't go out of here saying, you know what, Jesus has really made a difference in my life, but I can't tell anyone. Because Jesus said that to this man, he did not say it to you. He says to you, go tell everyone. Go and make disciples. Because now the message is complete. It says there that Jesus charged them to tell no one, but the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. And who could blame them? It says they were astonished beyond measure. It means that their socks were blown off if they were wearing socks. What were they saying? They were saying two things. I want you to get this. This is so important. Number one, they were saying he has done all things well. Does that remind you of another verse of Scripture? Genesis 131 at the end of the creation account It was all very good. In six days, God had created all of the universe, all of the animals, everything that existed, everything that had breath, everything was created. And at the end of it, God says, it is very good. It's a word that means perfect. It's perfect. And that's what they said about him. He has done all things well, perfectly. It's what John 1, 1 through 3 is talking about when it says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. He is the one who carried out the decree of the Father in the creation of the universe, and now he's standing before these people in this pagan land with skin on, and they are saying the same thing. He has done all things well. Why? Because it's who he is. It's who he was before time began. It's who he will be forever when we're around his throne worshiping him. Secondly, they were saying, he even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. Now that seems like a letdown after he's done all things well. But remember the word that I told you to hang on to earlier. I told you to hang on to the word 
speech impediment or impediment. It's a very rare, very special word that Mark alone uses. The New Testament includes it in one spot, and it's in our text today. Well, it's found one other place in the entire Bible, in the Old Testament, in Isaiah chapter 35. I want you to pull that up on the screens, if you will. Isaiah 35, verses 5 through 6. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. That word mute right there is the same exact word that Mark uses when he says impediment. Now, I told you already that Mark, when he said that they brought to him a deaf man, it was sufficient because it meant he was deaf and mute. But he went on to include that he had a speech impediment. Why does Mark then add that? Why does he choose the very same word in Isaiah chapter 35? Because while Peter didn't understand it at this very moment in this particular happening in this text, he would come to understand that Jesus was the one foretold through Isaiah. He was the one who would make the mute sing for joy. He was the one who would unstop the ears. He would come to understand that Jesus was and is the Messiah. Mark used that specific word, plucked from an obscure passage in the Old Testament. At the time of his writing, he understands. He finally understood later who Jesus was. What about you? Do you see Jesus as simply a wonder worker? Is he simply your go-to guy? Is he the, the big guy in the sky? Or is he the one who sits on the throne because he is the Son of God, the Messiah, the one who has opened your ears and loosed your tongue. Jesus here wants them to understand there's nothing outside that defiles a person, but the person is defiled already because of sin. And he's showing them that everyone, even themselves, that their eyes are blind, that their ears are stopped, their tongues are tied. In just a couple of weeks, we're going to see, we're going to see them come to the point where they understand, where they are born again. But at this point, they believe that he's the Messiah, but they're still thinking he is that political Messiah, that he will liberate them from Roman tyranny. But he wants them to understand that there is a spiritual condition that's true of all mankind. That when they hear the gospel, they do not comprehend it unless Jesus unstops their ears. That when they hear the gospel and the response, the, the, the invitation to response is given, they cannot, they will not in and of themselves confess with their tongue his lordship unless Jesus Christ looses their tongue. And I would ask you this morning, has Jesus 
opened your ears to the gospel? Do you understand that you stand in your sin condemned before God, waiting for wrath from him? But Jesus Christ, who knew your sin, went to the cross and took the wrath of God in your place so that if you would by faith believe in him as your only hope that you would no longer be condemned but you would be set free and forgiven and made right before God. Do you understand that? If so, it is not because you are more intelligent than your neighbor. It is because Jesus has opened your ears. Today, can you, have you confessed him as your Lord? When we were singing earlier, when we were singing about us running our hellbound race, but he came and found us, he drew us to the cross, he drew us to himself, could you sing that and celebrate that with joy this morning? If so, it's not because you're more enlightened than your neighbor. It's because the one who is God himself, who took on flesh, has loosed your tongue and put a new song in your heart. And today, you can sing, Jesus is Lord. Let's pray together. God, this morning... <clears throat> Lord, we come to this passage. And in this passage, God, we see that we had nothing to do with it. God, that you did it all. God, that you have opened our ears. That you have loosed our tongue. For those of us who are in Christ, we are in Christ because of your initiative. You came to us. We weren't seeking you. We were running a hell-bound race. But God, we thank you. God, we thank you that you have come and opened our ears and opened our eyes and loosed our tongues so that we can confess you as Lord. God, I pray that we would celebrate that. And Lord, there are people in this room who have never had their ears opened or their, their tongues loosed. God, this morning, maybe you have done that for someone here this morning, just this morning, right now. And God, this morning, they need to respond in faith and confess you as Lord. They've received the light. And God, I pray, God, that they would confess you as Lord and their King. Lord, have your way. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As Ethan leads, as Ethan leads, as Ethan leads, as Ethan I want you leads, just to reflect on what you've heard this morning, reflect through the passage, ask yourself, what is it that this requires of me? And then after just a little bit of time, as we reflect, we do this intentionally because we want you to think about what, we, what we've said. We don't want you to see this as the time where you just pack everything up and let's go to lunch. I didn't spend all week studying and praying. We didn't spend all week planning this service. And for you simply to see this as the end, let's go. We want you to think, what is it that this 
requires of me. And then in just a few seconds, I'll come back up. Ethan will direct you to stand and we'll sing. And if the Lord has laid something, laid something on your heart and you need to respond today by faith, then I'll be here to help you through anything. You may want to come and just pray. You may just want to stay where you are and just sing for joy. Rejoice in the one who has caused you to hear and caused you to be able to speak and confess him. Whatever it is, do it today.
just uh, say what a great day in the house of God. Great to worship with the family of God uh, here at Abner Creek. Amen? Amen. Amen. Um, okay. It says turn it on. All right. Uh, I'm going to get this ready for Kent Brockman. I'm going to ask Kent if he would to come and be ready to close this out. I, I do want to. I didn't make any real announcements earlier, but um, th- we are starting a membership class, new members class, um, next, next week. And uh, there is a sign-up sheet down in the resource room. If you've been visiting for a while and you just kind of been wondering what's the steps for membership, uh, it's a great way to start. It's a six-week class, so it's not a huge commitment. Uh, I'll be teaching that, but uh, if you will, just sign up down there uh, and uh, love to have you in there, all right? Uh, No services tonight. We'll see you on Wednesday. We we ask that you'd spend time with your family today and and celebrate the new year that God's given us. Ken, if you will, uh, close us out with a word of prayer. My gracious Heavenly Father, as we come from this wonderful time of celebration of your greatest gift to us, Christ, who so willingly gave his life, that you gave his life back to him, that he might intercede for all of his followers. As we continue on through this year, we ask that you would be with each member of this church guide and direct that thy Holy Spirit would be very close and dear to us, forgiving us all where we have failed. But Lord, we continue to ask that you be with the leaders of this church, guide and direct as only you can, forgiving us again where we have failed, for in Christ's name I ask him, amen.